Welcome to Interchain FM, where we dive into the frontier of the blockchain space. We're now in the third generation of blockchain tech, where a burgeoning multi-chain ecosystem is about to explode into what we call the decentralized web. Where Ethereum is to the mainframe computing era of the internet, Cosmos is to the PC era. If you're seeking alpha in the Cosmos ecosystem, look no further. This is the destination for your exponential learning experience. Interchain FM is where you can get the download on all of the high signal projects, building bridges to one another, and how you can participate in the future of the internet. We're here with leads at the Shade Protocol, Mike and Carter. Mike, will you do us the honors of kicking us off with your intro? Yeah, for sure. So I'm Mike, I'm head of product at Shade Protocol. Been working here for, uh, let's see, I've been working with Carter and the team for about a year and a half now, a little bit over, um, and really excited to be here right now. Um, Carter is one of our co-founders, so he can give us a great introduction of the uh, kind of the progress that we've made of some of the new things happening with Shade Protocol and just catching everyone up to speed today. Carter, as the co-founder, how did you start Shade and how did you get into Cosmos and why did you decide Secret Network was the right app chain to launch this on? 100%. It's a great question. So I've been in crypto since 2017. Uh, The first three years of my journey was being, uh, actually uh, wrote a book. So I spent three years writing and researching crypto and blockchain. Uh, Most of the material out there was either way too finance focused or way too blockchain focused. And it was during that three years of deep diving the space that it became super apparent to me that uh, DeFi was lacking privacy, right? You have totally transparent ledgers, you have lending positions that are vulnerable, um, you have trading strategies that are being copied, front running, which is now a $10 billion plus problem with all these, this total transparency. So I wanted to find a tech stack where private DeFi could actually happen, where, where builders could have granular control over what is and isn't encrypted. And that's where I found uh, Secret Network in 2020 and 2021. I actually wrote the Secret Network white paper, working with the core uh, core developers over at Secret Labs. And then, yeah, in 2021, 2022, decided to pull together a team and actually prove prove out this private DeFi thesis. And Shape Protocol at this point has been building for for over two years. Uh, last month, we launched our flagship product, Silk which is a privacy-preserving stablecoin pegged to a basket of global currencies and commodities. We launched uh, ShadeSwap, which supports stable swaps, uh, derivative swaps, as well as your classical constant product trading. Um, We've also launched ShadeLend, which allows people to um, lock up their assets and mint out Silk. We've seen over 5.5 million in TVL in less than a month on that. ShadeSwap has over 7.5 million in TVL. So north of 13 million in TVL in less than a month. It's been awesome growth. And yeah, we're just excited to kind of talk about the values of Shape Protocol and why we think uh, Cosmos needs private DeFi. And, and we love we love IBC. We love the Cosmos hub and we love all and Cosmosm. And it's, it's, a, it's a great space to be in. Excellent. Help me understand how the privacy preserving aspects of secrets Secure Enclave helps Shade Swap implement better features like MEV resistance, and how does that compare to the way that uh, Skip or Flashbots does it with democratizing MEV profits? Gotcha. So yeah, essentially the uh, compute transactions on Secure Network are encrypted. Uh, so when transactions are submitted, even if someone's parsing through and trying to figure out. You know how big is a trade going to be, or where is the transaction going to go? That's that's encrypted. So MEV is essentially stopped by default because the information that you would need to formulate a front-running attack or a sandwich attack isn't even available for anyone, right? And if you compare that to something like uh, Skip Protocol and kind of democratizing MEV, uh, they're kind of ceding to the fact that front-running sandwich attacks are going to happen, and how can we try to give value back? Um, to kind of the user that's participating. And from our perspective, it's like, why allow for extraction in the first place, right? Um, if we can instead just you know, have these private compute transactions, uh, it actually ends up saving a lot of money. There doesn't have to be a middle middleman that's being paid a fee to try to help, you know, mitigate the, the MEV, so to speak. Got it. Is it fair to say that Shade Protocol is a categorically a privacy coin 
I'll let Mike, I'll let Mike t- take this one. Yeah, so uh, I guess you could say that it is a privacy coin because yes, it is. Uh, everything that is built on top of Secret Network, like Carter said, is actually inherits that privacy feature. Um, but Shade Protocol itself is a lot larger than just privacy coins. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to dive into that soon. Yeah, of course. The only reason why you know we do the the uh, mental gymnastics is because if the SEC comes after you, uh, there seems to be a war on privacy coins at least. So, you know, if this is a privacy coin project, how do you navigate the choppy waters that the SEC is creating for you? 100%. I would say there's there's really two pieces of the puzzle. One is that, you know, these, while the home base for Shape Protocol is private, um, I would say it's really interesting that IBC actually allows all these assets to be public too, right? So you can bridge out Silk, you can bridge out Shade outside of Seager Network, and you'll be able to use them anywhere else in DeFi. And that's actually a huge part of our growth strategy. We we care about the the pluralism of privacy solutions, the pluralism of, of total transparency, and it's up to like end users to really find uh, where they lie on that spectrum. And then in terms of on the privacy side, Seager Network is really well positioned with viewing keys and permits for users to be able to uh, decrypt their transactions. There's actually an app called Crypto Clerk that allows people to submit like their tax reporting from their Seager Network transactions. And the tooling's improved a lot since 2021 and 2022, but um, Seager Network's not claiming to be a black box that doesn't have a path to compliance and auditability. And you're 100% right, though. It's a challenge. Privacy, uh, there's a lot of misalignment in terms of education, I think, from, from our industry around privacy. And part of that is, I think, um, Monero was really the starting point for privacy. Um, but we we need some degree of data privacy controls in there somewhere. It can't be a total black box. We probably don't want blockchain to be 100% transparent for every single blockchain that's ever existed. We need a pluralism of solutions. And we think Shape Protocol is well positioned to yeah lie somewhere on the spectrum. And, and hopefully regulators can can define good frameworks and we'll, we'll go from there. It's one of those things where you're the regulation itself may not directly attack you, but more compel the on-ramps onto your protocol to uh, be more constrained or maybe you know conservative with supporting your protocol. Like for example, like Zcash, Monero, there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, if exchanges are worried that it could be categorized as security, they may preemptively delist those tokens, right? So then, you know, as like a DeFi protocol that's privacy preserving, you may need to be an island, so to speak, or right? Like the exchanges may just cut off the on-ramps with even like a hint of uh, like SEC coming down on it. You know, that's, 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 that's a fair concern. I think uh, a lot of the ways that we see it here um, is essentially in order for blockchain technologies, Web3 technologies to progress and just have actual mass scale adoption, you're going to need this privacy. So there's, a, a, I think, a, a very strong difference between just having a transactional private coin compared to having a suite of just applications that are programmatically private. Right, like these are encrypted. It is then performs computations on, and then it leaves encrypted. Right, so everything here is stuff that is helping the end user. But needless to say, we are also aware of these concerns, like you're mentioning, um, and that's where Secret Network is really so, um, you know, novel in its in its use cases where you do have the modular control of your data. So, like as an end user you are able to say, hey, I want to show this person this data and only I can give permission for that. Um, so that's something really unique, I think, just in the web in general um, that we've kind of gotten to a point here uh, with Secret Network, uh, particularly um, where end users now kind of are getting back some of that control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, if, if the shade swap, for example, seeks to disintermediate the centralized exchanges, then you don't necessarily need to leverage them as on-ramps, but it does take you a lot longer for 
mass adoption to take hold, right? Instead of an accelerated pace, be much longer than that. Yeah, I think it's it's been an interesting journey just because to date, everyone's been focused on transactional privacy and Shape Protocol is one of the first ever like actual DeFi suites, right? You essentially have MakerDAO, but with privacy. You have Uniswap, but with total front running resistance and protected trading strategies. So we're, we're seeing a lot of growth quick. I mean, 15 million in TVL in less than a month is I think very impressive for, for a private DeFi suite with, with encrypted smart contracts. And uh, to your point, yeah, growth might be, it might be slower, but um, we think there's a very strong case for people that don't want their liquidation price points publicly visible, don't want their trading balances publicly visible. Uh, these aren't, these aren't malicious actors. These are, these are uh, traders and power DeFi users that want to protect their positions and want to protect uh, their their alpha, so to speak. And um, there's honestly like Web two finance has a lot more privacy than Web three finance right now, right? Like this Web two paradigm has been like, if you're even one percent private, then surely it's something bad or not good. And it's like, no, no, no. Like there's there is financial privacy in in a very big way in Web two commerce and in Web Web two finance. So. We're just trying to bring parity to that to that paradigm, um, and you know, in fairness to like some of these three letter agencies, like they are concerned about nefarious actors, and that's that's completely fair, right? Like that's that's a challenge, and they've, the onus is on them to figure out good frameworks to try to handle people that are genuinely trying to use privacy technology for good purposes versus people that are using it for the wrong for the wrong reasons. And ultimately, like it's our job as builders to build out the tooling to allow for that that plurality and yeah that, that would be that would be my answer it's it's an education problem and it's a tooling problem and we're, we're here to help solve both yeah i certainly take the opposite end of the stance and am not a fed apologist to say that i think the way that they're coming at the industry is you know they're trying to to capture one uh you know porpoise in the sea with the widest net possible and then it catches everything else it catches all the whales. It catches the you know, everything, and and then just to catch one, one thing. So I think it's been you know, an interesting model. <laughs> yeah, so, regulation by enforcement is always far worse than regulation via legislation that then gets enacted, right? So I and I'm I'm with you there. Like I guess what I'm describing is um, legislation and regulation when it's done in good faith. Uh, that's, that's, we would aspire to be able to fit into, into that. Uh, right now, I think it's a whole separate discussion about like, you know, if the three letter agencies, if, if they're doing it the right way, if it's anti-innovation and I'm guessing via our stance on privacy, you could probably infer how we would feel about the the current, the way that things are being approached, but. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it seems as if this is happening to at least the decentralized protocols to make way for something that they want to launch like FedNow or you know the digital Hong Kong dollar or the digital yuan the, you know the the government coins what's what's your take on that and you know given that you guys have a silk stable token that is based on a basket of assets would that potentially include such gov coins yeah Mike I'll let you take this one yeah, so that's a that's a great question. Um, I guess at the like the root of it, you're asking like, in the future, as new uh, assets come out, is this going to affect Shade Protocol's assets? And the answer is like, uh, yeah, for sure. But in in the sense that you're saying like, do we have some of these more centralized um, assets now being um, used within Shade Protocol, or necessarily like you're saying, pointing out Silk, the stablecoin? Um, that's really up to governance. Um, so at the end of the day, we we can advocate for, I'm assuming you're going to know our position, which is, you know, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll let that be there, but we could advocate for that. But at the end of the day, it's really up to governance to decide how silk is actually going to be pegged. Um, and that goes really with shape protocol overall. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. It's the really interesting thing about silk is the basket and the weights are capable of evolving over time and, and governance will ultimately have control over that. Um, there has been a plan that was outlined called uh, Operation Like Touch and Go, which is essentially like a five-year plan to ensure that Silk is one hundred has one hundred percent decentralized collateral by by year by year five type of a deal. 
So we we're very cognizant of the risks of centralized collateral and basket wise, I think it's really going to be up to community and the researchers to want to, you know, continue for silk to evolve into this asset that's globally stable and representative of global productivity and is able to be, we like to think of it as like the interoperability hub between global currencies. That's what we would aspire for, for silk to be. And yeah, we'll, we'll see how governance evolves the, the basket over time. Yeah, I mean, what would you imagine the future to look like if most of the decentralized assets are pushed to the periphery via, uh, you know, regulation? And what's taking hold front and center is these gov coins, which do tend to be representative of the GDPs of whatever you know local jurisdiction that they rep- that they're uh, that they're currency for. Interesting about interesting thing about Silk is that um, what's backing Silk is different than what it's tracking, right? Silk could be one day be one hundred percent Bitcoin back. Right now, it's it's backed by things like Secret and things like Atom, and we're going to be expanding the list to include things like ETH and and gold and other pieces, right? Uh, so there's there's what backs Silk, and then there's what it actually what the peg slowly tracks over time, and what all the stability mechanisms follow. Um, so. There can be Fedcoin A, B, and C across the entire world, but we don't have to have those assets actually back Silk, but we can still tap into the benefits of how stable those assets are. So Silk is really like, it was designed to be the most resilient and capable evolving stable coin that's ever been made, right? All these other decentralized stable coins, they're pegged to the US dollar, maybe they're pegged to the Euro. Um, They don't have the ability to like change and evolve over time. But we silk is capable of reacting. Like if the U.S. dollar hyperinflates, the the U.S. dollar portion of what's being tracked can be decreased over time, and that weightage could be assigned to Bitcoin. Silk could end up being eighty percent Bitcoin, twenty percent gold. It, it, it's it's a completely flexible asset in terms of how it's able to evolve, um, and that's that is like truly revolutionary. So to your point, in an in a adversarial environment, how does silk perform? The answer is as well as as governance is capable of evolving it. Okay, so if Silk is a reflexive stable coin, what is it pegged to itself? No, so actually, Mike, do you wanna do you wanna pull up the uh, the app and read off the the weights here? I'll, I'll let Mike pull this up quick. Yeah, for sure. You want me to share my screen, or you just read them off? If we can, if we can share a screen, I, honestly, that'd be beautiful. Is that okay if he shares a screen? Mm-hmm. All right. And who are your current users of Silk and the Shade Swap decks? So currently, Silk's actually the largest decentralized stablecoin in Cosmos right now. So there's over uh, over three million Silk in circulation, and they're they're people that are fan fans of the privacy of Silk. Uh, they're fan of the peg that it slowly tracks over time, um, and yeah, we're, we're we're continuing to see the the demand for Silk. the The users are mostly privacy advocates and mostly people that don't want to hold something that's only pegged to the U.S. dollar. So yeah, I hope you don't. Uh, take this the wrong way because I'm asking it so directly. But you know, if Shea Protocol has every aspect of Uniswap's features, but with privacy built in, why hasn't it overtaken Uniswap's dominance in the market? I would say probably because it's only been live for for three, three, four weeks. We would, of course, love to aspire to have uh, that level of that level of TVL. So I think. If we if we circle back with this interview in two years, I think we'll be in a much in a much different position in terms of TVL. So we will patiently see the the growth growth continue. Materially, what is different about the UX of using Shade Protocol versus Uniswap? I mean, do you have all of the same features and then some, or you know, are certain things different, like timed finality? You know, maybe your asymmetric concentrated liquidity is actually different from Uniswap V3. You know, how how is it materially different? Sure. Maybe, maybe Mike, you could give a, like a tutorial of the app all the way from the bridge to the swap page to the borrow page and maybe walk through all the products that have been launched and maybe talk about some of their differences or not, or not differences, right? Some, some of these pieces are, are probably very similar to other products out there. All right, we're giving a live demo, guys. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So 
It's a great question, right? Because you're pretty much asking like, what, what at the end of the day, after all of the, uh, you know, everything everyone's saying, what is the actual differences? Yeah, I, I want to know the real differences, not just what you're trying to market to me, like what you're saying to me. For sure. And what you're getting at is something that um, us actually at Protocol, at, at Secure Secrets rather, really think about all the time. And that is, what are the possibilities that come about when you have interconnected applications, Right. When you have applications not only living on the same exact UI, UX, but applications that on the actual contract level can interact with each other in ways where other protocols that have a divergence of applications and tokens um, cannot do. So if you get to Shea Protocol, um, one thing immediately is clearly it is built on Secret Network, which is in the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, so one thing that we want people at Shea Protocol to do is essentially you really never have to leave Shade Protocol, right? We want people to get to the app and be able to do their finances as they wish. So if you get to the bridge, we don't want an experience similar to like Osmosis and other bridges in, in the Cosmos ecosystem, which are essentially to and from. I want to deposit assets onto this blockchain and I want to send assets out of this blockchain. We want something more generalized. Again, this is something that we want people in the Cosmos, people in DeFi to use in general. So this here is a bridge. You could choose any uh, chain essentially in the Cosmos ecosystem and send it to another chain. So it doesn't necessarily have to come to Secret Network. However, of course, we want people to come to Secret Network. Um, as you come to Secret Network and you land right here on Shade um, app.shadeprotocol.io, you're able to go over to ShadeSwap, which essentially is just a decentralized exchange. Um, Hold on. Can we go back to the bridge portion? So what is the purpose of Shade having this bridge navigation if they're, if a user just wants to use it to send from Cosmos to another app chain, like Osmosis or something, and then they don't actually land in Shade protocol? Yeah, that's that's something that we've thought about. And that's something that we want to empower, right? We don't want people to have to worry about going, hopping from one UI to another UI to another UI to essentially do something that they could do in one place. So regardless if this is actually bringing people to Shade Protocol, this is a public good that users are now able to use um, in, within the Cosmos ecosystem and, and beyond at this point. It's, the, it's essentially the bridging is the first part of every user story. And so this is like a fully blown generalized IBC bridge interface. It's, it's one of the most flexible in all of Cosmos right now. And of course, like for people that want to come use Shade Protocol, they're going to be bridging into Secret. And we've actually worked on seamlessly onboarding people from having public assets into kind of the privacy preserving version of their assets. So um, yeah, this this bridge has been a, a lot of work put into this piece. And once a user bridges in, then you immediately have access to using your assets on the swap page, the borrow page, bonds, staking derivatives. And our end goal is that if we're really kind of like an interchain, interchain app. You can bridge anywhere. Your portfolio eventually will tell you like where your assets are throughout the cosmos. We're not there yet. And then when you actually want to perform DeFi activity, it's very easy to interact with the, the Shade apps. Hold on. Something interesting popped up. So if someone were to want to obfuscate their transactions, would they then bridge from whatever chain that they came from to secret uh, do some swap or whatever, and then bridge back out, and then it would effectively behave like a coin join. So that is not the purpose of this bridge. However, that but is they can creative, do that. That is a very creative. Uh, Great, that's good to know. Creative use of the. That's amazing. Wow, that's a great utility. Yeah, so that's just the the entrance into uh, Shape Protocol. Uh huh. Uh, so. One of the, uh, I'm not sure, Jajenko, if you've actually used Secret Network before in the past, how much um, you've used it, but you've always had, um, over the, I, I would say probably like the last year and a half or so, um, just UX friction issues. Um, essentially, like you said earlier, like why hasn't Shade Protocol essentially like popped off yet? Or why haven't, you know, Secret Network in its sense, um, you know, gained as much, um, you know, attraction as, as we would like? And, Really, the answer is that it's a the user experience when you introduce privacy in blockchain becomes pretty pretty wacky, and that's one of the things that 
at every single step of the journey for Shade Protocol is something we have to work on. Um, and one of the beautiful things, like we mentioned earlier, is something like viewing keys um, and having an asset that is brought from another chain over into Secret Network onto Shade Protocol. And like you said, be wrapped and obfuscated, right? And that process used to have to be numerous transactions going from another website to another website to another website. All of that now is done just through this bridge. So when you bridge assets over, it is done, boom, right there, right? So that user experience is just checks off all those boxes. Um, so that's just one thing I wanted to point out there before I move forward uh, with the rest of the app, but um, I could also stop here if you want. <laughs> so the I'm sure Shade Protocol has properly abstracted away the complexities of using a privacy preserving layer one, right? So, I mean, you could do all of this in one interface, which is what you're going to show us right now. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, the next, you know, I guess step in, in the process, I guess you could really say like, what would you be interested in doing? Um, do you want to make a swap? Assets over. Hey, Cosmonaut. Want to survive and thrive through this bear market? The best way to do it is to stake your coins risk-free. If you hold Atom, Osmo, Canto, or Celestia's TIA, you could compound your tokens risk-free by staking with Interchain FM. Your delegation supports the Cosmos radio station, so we can keep bringing you the alpha year after year. Now, back to the show. Well, let's let's go down the list. You know, what's currently listed? What are the options? Yeah, for sure. So right now, okay. Let's assume we come from Adam Cosmos Hub, right? Probably, you know, Cosmos Hub or Osmos is the most the most used chains, and exactly. then let's see what it, we we could swap into. Yeah, so you could swap into um, essentially SD Adam, which is the the beauty of asymmetric concentrated liquidity is we are able to tailor it for specific asset types. And, and, and can you can you break that down, please? What does that mean? Yeah, no problem. So this is, <laughs> this is, this is good. So asymmetric liquidity essentially, um, allows both ends of a pricing curve to be controlled independently. So to kind of give some context on all that mumbo jumbo, I guess for anyone listening that is just confused with, you know, what is, uh, asymmetric liquidity or what is like an AMM model in DeFi clearly it is there's no centralized entity um, facilitating trades like a centralized exchange. So these DEXs have to use these unique unique mathematical formulas to pretty much say, hey, given this asset, given the supply and demand of this asset, what is the price going to be? Right? There needs to be some type of pricing curve. And, and that's the uh, that's the AMM model as opposed exactly. to order books. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. So these decentralized exchanges use AMM models, automated market makers. And really the first, I would say, uh, leader of this is Uniswap. And they brought something called a constant product market maker. Now this AMM model, which is the constant product model, essentially says that if you take the quantities of the assets of the tokens that are in this liquidity pool and you multiply them by each other, that will always remain constant. So there's a formula where it's like X, which is the uh, the quantity of one asset times Y, which is the quantity of the other asset must always equal K. And if you plot this on a graph, you get this bonding curve, um, this pricing curve, which is essentially just all of the allowed pool sizes um, for this um, for for this liquidity pool. And the constant product market maker that Uniswap brought over was really great. Uh, it is still very great for volatile tokens specifically, um, because it essentially says that, hey, since these assets will always, um, will the, the product of these assets must always be the same, that essentially says there will be infinite amount of liquidity in the liquidity pool at any given point. So this is really important because if you're a liquidity provider, you don't have that risk of losing your funds your funds are pretty much infinite based on this mathematical formula. And if you look at the curve as it goes like this, um, the actual um, tail ends of the curve represent essentially price impact, which is 
some people refer to as slippage, but it's really known as price impact, which essentially is the trader's cost that they're paying to a liquidity provider for disrupting the pool ratio. So what I mean by that is essentially, if you have a very large trade compared to the pool size, you're going to get hit with a very high price impact, which is essentially just protection for liquidity providers. So I'll stop there before continuing forward if you want any questions on the constant product, but that's just one AMM model. If you now look at a, another AMM model, which is something called like the constant sum market maker. And this is one that's essentially more conceptual rather than actually being used in application. But instead of being X times Y equals K, it is X plus Y equals K. It's the sum. And what this means is that when you have um, a trade that is, uh, when, when someone comes to the liquidity pool and swaps their assets, it's essentially one for one, meaning that there is no price impact. So this particular use case is really good for assets that are not volatile, right? For assets that are stable, like stable coins, or they're relatively pegged to the same thing, like staking derivatives. Um, and if you look at um, another AMM model, like Curve, Curve Finance, Curve V2, they essentially do a hybrid of this. They take the benefits that the price impact protection has for liquidity providers from the constant product, and they also take that very low price impact, if not none, of the constant sum for stable assets, and they combine it together. And now Curve V2 really was like the, the leaders of pushing this type of hybrid model. Um, but the actual restriction that they have, it's a, it's, a, it's a natural mathematical restriction, is that the curve that they have, if you imagine this parabolic, hyperbolic shape, if you were to just split it right in the middle and take uh, a dot right in the middle, it's called uh, essentially your, your equilibrium point or your origination point. And this is essentially when the pool gets set up, this is, means it's a balanced pool. And as curve V2 starts to expand the flatness of this dedicated area for concentrated liquidity, they have to do it simultaneously in unison, meaning it's symmetrically getting expanded on both sides of that origination point. Um, so meaning if you have $50 million worth of uh, liquidity that is being concentrated in this area and you want to expand it, you have to expand it on both sides, meaning if you even just wanted to have it a little bit here concentrated above the equilibrium point, well, you can't do that. You have to still provide some on both sides. Now, this is different than shade swaps, uh, automated market maker model, which is, we called it silk swap. And essentially this is curve V2, but it has asymmetric control, meaning that you don't have to actually have that restriction of having to provide concentrated liquidity on both sides of that origination point. Instead, you can choose to provide uh, concentrated liquidity to any side of it. And essentially that just means that we are now able to, Shape Protocol is now able to um, choose when and where they want price impact to occur and how, how like what's the magnitude of that price impact. And I'll just, to, I'll, to, go, to go really high level, the advantage of this is uh, staking derivatives to L1 tokens have a very specific like trading range. And if you compare it to like stable coins that are both pegged to the US dollar, those trade in what we call like, like it's a symmetrical order flow between the two because they're both pegged to the same thing. But staking derivatives and their underlying L1 tokens, like it's not a symmetrical order flow because a staking derivative slowly increases in value. Um, and so the net result is that there's actually kind of this asymmetric order flow. And so we designed a curve specifically for the relationship between something like Atom to ST Atom, right? Um, and so if you like punch, Mike, just punch in like a hundred thousand dollar trade here, uh, it's incredibly efficient. It's a curve that perfectly maps onto, uh, the relationship between L1 tokens and staking derivatives. And what everyone else is trying to do right now is they're trying to use a curve that was designed for stable coins. And they're trying to map that onto the L1 to staking derivative relationship, but that's not actually a perfect match. It's not a perfect fit because there's the, the assets and their price behavior is, is different when you're looking at staking derivatives. So this is like a crypto first. There was a PhD mathematics that worked on this for uh, well over half a year. And this is like the first ever implementation of asymmetric concentrated liquidity. So 
not only are you getting front running resistance, but like Shea Protocol also prides itself on actually innovating on the DeFi side of things too. Um, so you can see there that there's incredibly low slippage on a trade that large. And what will be really cool is when Mike jumps to the pools page after this, because this level of efficiency is on only approximately $550,000 worth of liquidity. You're getting a trade that efficient and that good. And that you can't find that anywhere else in crypto right now. Yeah, and to add just just a little bit more just data on that, like currently right now, like Carter mentioned, comparing our uh, comparing this um, shade swaps concentrated liquidity compared to let's just say uh, Osmosis, who has pretty much the liquidity hub in the Cosmos, for this exact trade size, which is about twenty percent of the actual pool size, we're thirty three times less liquidity. There's thirty three times less liquidity in this pool yet 100 times more efficient trades than on osmosis. And if you did this exact trade on osmosis, you would have about 25% impact, price impact. With osmosis v16 with CL being shipped, how would that differ then? Yes, it starts. So that's actually a very important shipping for osmosis. That's going to be a key pivot point in the osmosis story. Um, They should be able to improve that slippage situation. Um, and we're definitely excited to see that get shipped. It's going to be a huge feature for them. Um, but yeah, at, as that, of right now, at that point, would it would it have parity with the uh, optimizations that you guys have made for a stable swap? Uh, shouldn't asymmetric concentrated liquidity. It becomes it becomes very interesting because they're essentially going to be reliant on users to be smart enough to pick trading ranges. Um, so there's going to be some significant UI UX friction to trying to like perfectly map onto this region uh, versus this curve makes it the liquidity provider experience very simple. It's going to be like a one-click provide experience for us. I'm guessing osmosis is going to be a lot more complexity to it. So at that point, it'll become much more about user experience. So, Got it. All right, let's execute this trade. It says insufficient balance. Oh man, I, like, I, you don't you don't have, you don't have hundred thousand dollars in Adam on you. I don't have hundred thousand dollars in on me. So are we in prod right now, or are we in? Uh, this uh, is production. Yeah, this is on a. Uh, let's see if I have. Uh, let's see. So this is another beautiful thing. If I want to go find, um, you know, see just some more of my assets, I'll come over to the portfolio page, um, because this is a live demo. I want to grab some. Uh, let's see. I have some S secret. So let's say I want to bring S secret to SD Adam. Show some routing. Yeah. Might as well show some routing. Right. So we can make this trade happen here. Okay. So it looks like silk is the, is an intermediary token. Why is that? Yes, so Silk is the, essentially, we put Silk as a stablecoin as the centerpiece um, of the DEX. A lot of other decentralized exchanges kind of put a volatile governance token as the baseline liquidity token. You're forced to buy this volatile asset and you're forced to kind of liquidity provide with this volatile asset. So there's additional impermanence loss risk. Um, But instead, when you have a stablecoin as the centerpiece, it's a lot safer for liquidity providers because there's less potential for impermanence loss. So... um, at the end of the day, it's cheaper for the protocol to incentivize the stablecoin pools when Silk is at the center. Uh, we also benefit from this too because uh, Shade Protocol, uh, there's interest fees tied to Silk uh, over time. That's not quite implemented yet. So kind of every Silk in circulation also represents a revenue stream uh, back to the protocol. So there's kind of dual benefits there. Mm-hmm. So you've got the Silk treasuries return. Yes, in essence, in essence, which Mike, maybe you want to go to, well, let's show the pools page quick and then we can jump over to the borrow page as well. Uh, For sure. So this is going to be the pools page, um, which is essentially uh, pretty similar to any other pools page. Um, however, here uh, you could see the outlined um, pools are, are stable swap pools. Um, a lot of uh, our, our, you know, Shape Protocol's mission is essentially to onboard other partners into the ecosystem as well. Um, so a lot of our partners are with Stride and staking derivative teams. Um, today, we're actually going live with um, Persistence, bringing more staking derivatives over. 
Um, and uh, if you come over to, let's say here, um, you'll notice something that's a little bit different um, compared to other public blockchains. So for the first time that you come over to Seco uh, Network, you're essentially, like we mentioned before, going to have to create like a viewing key because you are in control of your data. So for instance, here, when you first get to um, this, this pools page, really the only other friction you're doing is one extra click here to create a viewing key um, for this pool. Because uh, essentially your data, your data for your token balance is encrypted on chain. So not even, not even no one, the, like no one else can see it, but you actually can't see it either until you kind of create this viewing key primitive that allows you to view uh, your encrypted, encrypted balances. You also notice that we support single-sided liquidity providing. Um, a lot of DEXs like to hide as, like the single-sided liquidity providing, but we make it very easy for a user to come in with one asset and have that um, begin liquidity providing uh, on the pool. Exactly. And you could also withdraw to uh, single-sided as well. So if you're in a rush and you're withdrawing and you don't want to take that extra uh, second to go over to, in this scenario, another tab, which would just be the swap pat tab to uh, to convert your assets into another asset. Whereas on another application, you might have to go to another website in order to do so. Uh, here, it'll just do it on the back end. So if you want to just withdraw your liquidity to Silk, if you want to do USDC, et cetera, uh, you could do that as well from one click. Uh, let's go ahead and quickly show i'll go for it no go ahead i was gonna say let's just quickly quickly show dashboard spend like 10 seconds there and then borrow page is probably the most interesting page recently just because um we've seen a lot of usage of it so yeah for sure so this is the dashboard page essentially here you could find your top movers top moving tokens um as well as the top liquidity pools you could filter this as needed, um, and this all relates exactly to this pools page as well as the uh, the swap interface. Are you only supporting Cosmos native assets, or are there also bridged EVM tokens? Leak the alpha, Mike. Might as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we actually do um, are supporting um, outside of Cosmos assets. So essentially. Um, here you can see that we have USDT as U and USDC through Axel, uh, Um And we are now adding onto our bridge, uh, which is essentially ready. Uh, I've seen it in production. Uh, I, I believe Carter has as well. And it is now having um, pretty much from the Shade website being able to bridge over um, EVM assets over to Shade Protocol. So yeah, this, this, this list of pools and assets that are going to be supported is uh, definitely going to expand. Um, and I wish I could leak a little bit more alpha, but I'll, I'll leave it there for now. <laughs> I see that you had CMST listed Comdex's composite stable token. Um, how is Silk different from that? And how, you know, I'm going to ask you, how does it compare with IST, Agoric's stable token? And just give me an idea about how it's different from Frax and a lot of the other stable coins in the ecosystem. Yeah, Carter, if you uh, gonna take that one, sure. So the the biggest difference right out of the gates is the peg, um, CMST, IST, Frax, Dai. All of these are tracking uh, the US dollar versus Silk's peg is is dynamic, which is kind of a one of the world's first in crypto on that front. Um, and then the other piece of the puzzle is that um, I think so. Uh, so Rai Rai is pretty dynamic too. Yes, Rai. Rai is another one. Nuon is another one. So I think there's, I would say Silk, Nuon, and Rai are kind of like three really interesting experiments between the three of them. Um, yeah, Silk, Silk's basket is more focused on uh, stability of, of, it, of it over time compared to a lot of these other assets. Um, Nuon's more focused on trying to have an asset that's just counteracting uh, inflation. But there's there's some challenges to that because... Uh, anytime you like mint out a stable coin uh, from these borrowing products, it's technically it's technically a piece of debt, right? Because you you can't unlock your over collateralized loan until you pay off the stable coin back into the smart contract. And so, if you have a stable coin that's counteracting inflation, then technically your the value of your stable coin is going up and up and up. And so now your debt that you owe back is actually increasing. So there's some like weird like um, pieces of making these synthetic assets where you have to try to balance kind of the stability features with the inflation hedge features where you probably don't want to go too strong one direction or the other. And it's really, 
it, it's kind of a brand new it's a brand new paradigm that I think we'll see more of in the next decade. Like we're at the earliest stages with people building out these experimental, partially stable, partially inflation hedge assets and, and silk falls in that category. Now, so you have basket global currencies, commodities. We also have privacy. So um, Frax and Dai are not private by default with their transactional history. Uh, silk is. That being said, you can always move silk off of a secret network to a public uh, blockchain, but Silk is private by default as opposed to public by default. So that's another difference with IST um, and CMST. And then separate from that, it's also uh, over the over collateralization mechanism and how you handle liquidish liquidations. Uh, a lot of protocols have like subtle differences between them. Uh, we're very similar to Maker MakerDAO on this front, uh, but the liquidation queue is democratized. Uh, where if you're deposited into something called the silk earn pool, you're turning in your silk as people get liquidated on the borrowing product uh, in return for those those discounted liquidated assets. And those assets get, get equally distributed uh, to everyone in the pool versus other liquidation protocols tied to these over collateralized stable coins. It's kind of like a first come first serve, like who's fastest. So yeah, we've we've democratized the the stability pool, which is definitely a cool innovation. Other other people have done this too, but we definitely aspire uh, and agree with that kind of philosophy. Okay, got it. Oh, and the private liquidation price points—that's like another huge one, right? Like every every single uh, public blockchain. Like let's go to the borrow page. Let's let's give an example example, Mike. Um, so these are all the different vaults you can you can lock up these uh, different assets to mint out silk. So we're adding in support for. A multitude of other assets, but these are the first five we started with. And you also notice that there's USDT and USDC. As I mentioned earlier, with Operation Touch and Go, eventually the amount of backing from centralized assets will go down to 0%. Currently, they're at uh, 40%. So over the course of that five years, there's going to be a decrease in those vaults and an ever-continuing increase in decentralized vaults. This is an intentional uh, bootstrapping decision, just to reference that right out of the gate. But you can essentially lock up, um, click on the stake secret vaults, uh, Mike, lock up your assets, mint out silk, and you get to you essentially get to pick your loan to value ratio. Um, so the more aggressive of a loan to value ratio you pick, um, the more likely you are to get liquidated if the value of your assets decrease. Um, and so this is true for all of these lending protocols, but the difference is that on these other protocols, everyone knows what Mike's liquidation price point is. I, I can know, hey, if the price of steak secret if I can shift an oracle or shift a price, I can guarantee that Mike gets liquidated because all this information is just publicly available. Um, but on Shade Lend with Silk, that metadata is private. And so whether you're a massive whale or, or a very small user, you can trust that no one's able to hunt your liquidation price point. That's key. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this is, again, this is really just scratching the surface. Like Carter mentioned, like this is been out for just about almost exactly a month now um so this is super super exciting for for everyone involved um especially for the cosmos ecosystem I, I think a lot of the um demand that we're seeing is that people want to hold atom and they want to hold the most efficient form of atom which is the liquid staking derivative version of it and even with doing so they want to unlock more liquidity out of it and thankfully you know shade protocol shade lend allows people to put up um, these staking derivatives as collateral and mint out more silk um, from there. So, you know, on top of all those uh, benefits um, that Carter was mentioning earlier about silk compared to IST and these other stablecoin competitors, the beauty of having interconnected applications is that we can be uh, a little bit more biased towards um, applications within Shape Protocol. And by bias, I mean Silk, like you saw, is a centerpiece routing asset for all liquidity. So this is really key because now users can unlock liquidity, take their loan, do whatever they want with it, quite honestly. Um, but if they did want to uh, trade or provide liquidity with that loan of Silk, um, this is a very liquid asset now that people can use and liquidity providers don't have to worry about kind of getting routed through this governance token that's volatile and they're going to get affected by impermanence loss. Um, in this scenario, it is a stable coin. And just by holding it, um, it's a hedge against inflation uh, and and really, you know, single monetary systems. Okay. So let's walk through a an example user flow. 
let's say I have Adam and I go to stride and create ST Adam. I bridge that over to shade protocol and then I collateralize that to borrow silk. Now I have silk and I buy Osmo. Let's say if I want to use my Adam to get uh, exposure to Osmo. And then I bridge that out to stride and then get ST Osmo. And then I take Osmo, ST Osmo into osmosis and then farm that pool. That's an entirely possible user flow that we could do right now. It's, it's not only entirely possible, but you, we're seeing around, if not better rates than actually going to the uh, stride application um, and getting that liquid staking derivative. So you could do that essentially all that exact user story completely from here. And the only part that you would actually be leaving shape protocol is that last part where you're saying you want to bridge to osmosis to provide liquidity. Because uh, buying, buying ST Osmo with Osmo, because the curve is so efficient, it's actually more efficient to perform that trade to buy the ST Osmo than it is to mint it on stride. Understood. That is key. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and we are releasing some um, other features um, as well as we continue forward. But uh, I don't know, Carter, if I, if I should leak some of this stuff, but um, you'll be able to do a lot more utility um, uh, between these applications, um, I would say, probably in the, in the next coming weeks. Yes, uh, there's going to be more more interesting pools, more interesting routing, and then more interesting collateral types. Um, I, I think we I think we can be pretty- is there, Yeah, is there something, can you be more specific? Yeah, I'll be more specific and say that like uh, a huge way to un unlock a lot of liquidity is like supporting LP tokens, for instance, as collateral for Silk. Uh, okay. So then you can, you know, lock up, you know, as LP provider, you come in and then you lock it up as collateral, you mint out silk, and it's like, this is called leverage liquidity providing. There's also something called leverage staking, which is the loop that you somewhat described, which is like, I take ST Atom, I lock it up, I mint out silk, I buy more ST Atom, and then I lock up that ST Atom, mint out silk, and you can loop as much exposure as you want. Granted, you're taking on an increasing amount of risk, but now you're getting more exposure to Atom, and you're getting more staking exposure to Atom too. So we're really going to be helping facilitate um, essentially financial expression, people being able to uh, do what they want with their their assets and express their their convictions on different assets. Fair enough. That's great. Mike, I'd say another good one to mention would be let's do the staking derivative quick, just because I feel like it's like the one of the the best kept best kept secrets of Shape Protocol. So uh, Shape Protocol actually launched uh, the the largest private staking derivative last year in March. So it's this has existed for one year and two months. Um, and essentially, this accounts for 3.5% of all bonded secret on secret network is tied to the Shade Protocol staking derivative. Um, these are fees that go back to the Shade DAO, just like trading fees from ShadeSwap. There's a percentage of those fees that go back to the Shade DAO. The interest fees, liquidation fees, percentage of that goes back to the Shade DAO. Um, and yeah, the staking derivative is a, is a really big product. It stakes to 23 uh, different secret network validators based off of uh, essentially like a neutral scoring card based off of uh, uptime, commission rate, governance, participation, and where you are in the decentralization stack. So we've actually seen Secret Network decentralization uh, improve because of this, uh, how this staking derivative uh, delegates. Um, so yeah, we, we, we can, when we work with our staking derivative partners, we come at it from a, we've actually launched a very successful staking derivative uh, product before, which I think definitely uh, helps us. And how is it different from Stride's way of doing it? Yes. So the biggest biggest piece is the minting process uh, is private as well as the token. The token is private. It's also a smart contract on Seeker Network as opposed to Stride is a standalone blockchain that leverages interchain accounts to represent these different positions on the various blockchains. So um, there's advantages and disadvantages to this. Actually, we just had a Twitter space. Well, we've had a... Twitter space with Persistence One and Quicksilver. Since we're onboarding both of those staking derivative providers, and we actually actually talked about uh, some of the trade-offs and security posture and latency and some other fascinating stuff. So check out the Shape Protocol Twitter. Check out those Twitter spaces in the last two to three days. There's some interesting conversations there about that. 
Gotcha. So just a last note about taxes. If everything is private, how does someone report on these transactions? Yeah. So right now there's an app called Crypto Clerk that essentially I essentially just helps you use your viewing keys in a way to see all the timestamps, to see amounts for all your different trades and for all your different transactions. Uh, Shade Protocol is also going to be looking to add in uh, CSV support uh, on our app. So eventually picture another tab on the left side that just says CSV transactions. And there'll be the goal will be a one-click download into spreadsheet format that totally formats all that stuff for you. So as a user, you don't have to try to hunt through a block explorer or go to a different website and all that, all that nightmare stuff. So we've 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 heard from at least, I mean, it's it's gotta be, you know, 50 plus users over the course of the last half year that like everyone brings it up at some point of like, wow, this is like really cool, but is this going to make compliance more difficult? And it's like not, I mean, the tool, the tooling is going to continue to improve. And our goal is that like, you don't have to worry about the privacy piece. It's, it's, it's all, all there for you. Got it. Is there some last feature that you want to showcase before we go to the comment section? I guess the last thing I'd say is, uh, Shade staking is going to be launching very, very soon. Um, so we actually, uh, a lot of protocols, they, 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 they're very focused on kind of the tokenomics and the staking before there's actually like a flywheel to plug into. But we really, we went the opposite direction. We spent a year and a half to two years building out this incredible platform. I would say it's, it's pretty good UI UX. It's, it's got, it's gotta be on, on, on the better side of things, uh, in, in crypto in general um, with all the features. And now we have all these significant fee streams, right? To list them off, you have your, your staking derivative fees. Uh, we have protocol-owned liquidity through bonds, protocol-owned staking. We have trading fees from ShadeSwap, interest fees, liquidation fees, and borrowing fees. So I think, I think that's, that's seven fee streams, right? And once staking goes live, we're actually unveiling something. We are gonna talk more about it on, on this video uh, today, but we're, we're unveiling something called the Meta Engine which is essentially our roadmap for how the protocol is going to build permanent sustainability and how value flows back to stakers, which they're providing a, a very important service because uh, they're pre they're preventing against 51% attacks in terms of, of governance, right? Um, so stakers do provide a legitimate service and we're, we're, we're pumped to get staking out the door on the next uh, couple of weeks for, for all the people that have held shade without direct uh, utility necessarily right out of the gates. And now there's going to be more of a, a usage for, for Shade. Is it 51% attack for a secret or is it 66 since they use Tendermint? Actually, you're right. 66 is the preferred number. So it's so we're in applications. This is a, a fun little paradigm to think about. Proof of stake protects everyone's ledgers, right? So it's like, you got to make sure someone can't hijack consensus. So they say that Mike sends me all this money, right? We're an app. We're, we're a set of apps built on top of secret network. So our 66% staking protection is to make sure that someone couldn't hijack Shade Protocol app governance and do something nefarious within this set of apps on top of Secret. But yes, 66%. That was a slip up on my part. That's that's definitely the preferred uh, protection amount with, with consensus. Okay, and we're going into the comments section. We have someone screaming at the top of their lungs. Android app, please. Neutral position says. 90% of Internet users don't have a PC. PC days are over. Please, Android app. This is true. So actually, fun facts. We have, oh, in this other room over here, we have the uh, mo mobile mobile mockups are essentially uh, in progress slash getting close to done. And then it's going to be the front end team kind of implementing the changes to allow for, for mobile. So um, yeah, we definitely went desktop power user side of things, but it is time to head towards mobile compatibility and yes do we want there to be a standalone shade app 100 percent that would be that would be the dream i don't know if that's going to be a 2023 roadmap item but mobile compatibility uh definitely is and we have riaz ahmed patel asking when might we see causes wide private liquid staking derivatives yes riaz is a big shade protocol and he's uh he's been pushing for uh Staking derivatives, not just for Seeker Network, but private staking derivatives across the board. Uh, that's a, that's a that's a good question, Mike. Do you have any do you have any thoughts on on that one? Uh, nothing 
all I could say is come over to Shape Protocol and use it. That's that's where private liquid staking derivatives are. Um, outside of that, if you're asking like, is Shape Protocol right now um, going to create these Cosmos-wide uh, liquid staking derivatives? Um, right now, no, that's not on the roadmap, uh, at, at least near term. Um, but yeah, if you want to use liquid staking derivatives in, with privacy, come over to Shape Protocol. We already have them. I yeah. will say we've looked into providing a potentially a grant for extending out the stake secret suite beyond just secret network, but um, that's we're still trying to find uh, the right the right team and right fit for that in terms of the roadmap. IBCX just launched, but it doesn't have privacy preserving features. But it is a it's supposed to be an index of Cosmos assets, so that's uh, that's also in the works. Merkel, Mer- Merko Horn said shade value accrual is too vague, but that changes today. It does. It does. Because you guys sh- shit all the alpha. Good job. Yep, the blog post is going out like right now. So Most excellent. Uh, Alejandro says, I started to DCA into it as soon as I knew what they were doing. Hope it pays off. Uh, yeah, and that's a wrap from the comments section. Actually, there's one more that just came in. Mirko Horn asks, does bounded conversion minting have something to do with the meta engine? Well, look at all look at all the nomenclature. Um, no, so the meta engine is essentially the theory of sustainability and growth for Shade Protocol from here on out and how all the different fee streams build out that sustainability and give back to, to stakers. So um, hopefully that helps answer your question, Mirko. Be sure to check out the blog when it comes out, hopefully in the next couple of minutes. Riaz asks, does Shade have any plans to make a generalized money market? Yes. (laughs) Olaf asks, when airdrop, will it be vested or fully claimable? So airdrop, we we joke we have like the world's slowest airdrop at this point. Um, The first 30% was given in tasks one and two, and the final 70% is coming with the launch of Shade Staking in the coming weeks. So stay tuned for that. And yes, it'll be fully, fully claimable on on the spot for those of you who qualified for that back in end of 2021. Yes. So I remember 2021 when you guys issued an airdrop, but it was like noticeably pretty small. (laughs) <laughs> yes yes it was yes it was which in the grand scheme of things now it's we want now that the product suite is here we want to waive the incentive to come back and see everything that's been built in the last year and a half so that final 70 percent for those atom whales or luna luna whales as well pre-collapse like any of those people um that want to go and get their 70 percent, they're going to roll up to a fully blown mature product suite where a lot of airdrops you roll up to an app and it's like i'm claiming my airdrop but like what does this token actually do? What what, what is it, this this product looks kind of janky? It's like this is a mature app, and now anyone coming back is going to be very impressed. I think by what's been built since since at the end of 2021. So when was the snapshot taken for this airdrop? Uh, November seventh of 2021 to December thirteenth of 2021. Okay, so what happens to new users then? Do they receive an airdrop? No, no airdrop for new users. Uh, there will be a clawback period uh, for all the unclaimed airdrops. And there could be, it'll be up to the community, up to internal discussion. Like There could be more airdrops. It's not necessarily on uh, the immediate roadmap. But if, if, if there's stride, I know it's continued to like re, re-airdrop and it's a really interesting strategy. So it might be something that gets looked into. Mirko asks, does it make sense to display average long-term value when potential liquidation hunters might use that? Yes. So there's uh, some of the macro statistics are important just so people know that there's macro stat solvency um, or else there could be very big issues of like, is silk collateralized? Like we we don't know. Um, it's a It's a fair point though, in terms of correlation, how much correlation is there. It shouldn't from from my knowledge, after talk with the core devs, there shouldn't be there shouldn't be much, but it's it's uh it's a good question, Mirko. We can we can look into that for you. All right, excellent. I think that is it for the comment section. Are there any last housekeeping items that you two want to cover? You know, how just really appreciate talking? you having us on. I know I know that was like that was a lot. <laughs> Me and Mike talked like a lot, but like really appreciate you letting us 
walk through the app and a lot of the complexity. And I hope hope uh, the audience learned something new. And uh, if you're if you're excited about privacy and and DeFi, like we'd love to just invite you into the community and and try out the apps. Yeah, and I just encourage everyone to to just come over and try it out. Really, as you see in this like live demo, you can do a lot, and really the creativity comes out to you, the user. Yeah, and excellent. That that was a fantastic demo, by the way. It does look like a fully mature app from when what it looked like in 2021 when I checked it out. Thanks for tuning in to Interchain FM. As always, I will read through the pages of white papers and condense only the alpha for you in a one hour long digest. Be sure to subscribe to Chango and Chain's YouTube channel to be up to date about the latest technology and never miss a live streamed episode.